You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. I say this as the son of a cop. I say this as the brother of a cop, the nephew of a cop. Fuck the police. Oh my God, that was not easy for me to say. I love my dad, who never once pulled his service revolver out of its holster during his two decades as a cop in Chicago. And I love my brother, a thoroughly decent guy, who has managed to keep his knee off the neck of everyone in the small but racially diverse town where he works. But I gotta say... I gotta say it right now, fuck the police. I've been watching video all weekend of police officers firing tear gas and flash grenades into peaceful crowds, of police officers pepper spraying children, of police officers assaulting protesters, arresting journalists, firing rubber bullets at news photographers, terrorizing the people who gathered this week at great personal risk to protest the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Another black man murdered by a cop, which came shortly after the attempted murder by cop of Christopher Cooper in Central Park, which came not long after the murder of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky. Taylor was an EMT technician who was shot to death by the cops in her own bed after police officers stormed into her apartment in a no-knock raid. They were searching for a man who not only did not live in Brianna Taylor's apartment complex, but who was already in police custody. The scales did not suddenly fall from my eyes this weekend. The problem with the police all over the country has been evident for years, decades, centuries. George Floyd's death, his murder, came after the murders of Eric Garner, Philando Castile, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, John Crawford, and on and on and on. Police reform, not my area of expertise, but even I can see that the militarization of police departments all over the country over the last two decades has made our cities more dangerous for us all, but particularly more dangerous, particularly deadly for black people. We have to identify officers who've come to see themselves as soldiers or been trained to see themselves as soldiers and citizens as enemy combatants and weed them out. We need to fire them before they kill someone, not after. We have to make it easier to fire all bad cops. We have to take their armored vehicles away. We have to take their stormtrooper-style body armor away. We have to take their tear gas and rubber bullets and flashbang grenades away. The shelves at Target can be restocked. The Cheesecake Factory can bake more cakes. And the windows at Nordstrom, Jenny Durkin, they can be replaced. Charlena Lyles, a Seattle woman who was 15 weeks pregnant and struggling with mental health issues, when the police shot her seven times in front of her children, she cannot be replaced. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, they can't be replaced either. That's all I really wanted to say. That and sorry, not sorry, Dad, because it really had to be said right now at this moment. Fuck the police had to be said. And I felt obligated as a son of a cop to say it. And quickly to my fellow white gays out there, happy pride. It's June, but there won't be any parades this year, no parties, no late nights out in clubs. So maybe read a book, an actual book from an actual library, not the 
figurative library RuPaul is always talking about, Stonewall was a riot. That's what we commemorate during Pride. Not rainbows, not marriage, not corporate sponsorships and other kinds of blowjobs. No, we march to remember a riot and the rioters at that riot, many of them people of color who fought back against the police. The Stonewall Inn wasn't the first gay bar that got raided by the cops, and it wasn't the last. The Eagle in Atlanta was raided by the police in 2009, and it took two years for the cops who orchestrated that raid and then lied about it to lose their jobs. Also, Stonewall wasn't the only time gay people rioted to protest police violence. Queers rioted at the Compton Cafeteria in San Francisco when the police came in and tried to arrest, quote, men dressed as women. After the former cop who murdered Harvey Milk was given a slap on the wrist, we rioted. Please go Google White Knight Riots and take a long look at that line of burning cop cars. If gay history were taught in our schools, we would know it in our bones. We would know that this fight, the fight against police violence, the reason cop cars are burning in our streets again, it's our fight too. All right, coming up on today's show, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, lots of your cues, lots of my A's, and Dr. Barack Gaster returns to answer a very important COVID-19 question for us. And more questions, more answers on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. The Magnum Savage Lovecast, twice as much show, no ads, more guests. Subscribe at savagelovecast.com. All that coming up on today's show. Hi, Dan. I'm a queer lady from the Midwest, and I have a quarantine sex story, and it was absolutely wonderful. And it was with this guy I had sex with once pre-quarantine, and it was entirely remote. So it started with some heavy sexting and a few nudes, and then I told him I'm going to take a bath, and he asked if he could join me. And then we both sent each other pictures and videos of us in our own bath, playing around, having a good time. And then he said he had a butt plug with a remote and he wants me to take control. And I was just playing along because I thought it was just a playful part of our little imaginary fun. But then he sends me a link and I click on it and it's a little button that I can move up or down and it remotely controls the intensity of his butt plug. And ugh, it was so awesome. And we live miles away from each other and it works. And I think that was just so perfect for quarantine sex because I haven't had sex in person with anyone since shutdown started. And I just wanted all your listeners to know about this, especially for the folks who are single or missing their FWBs or for the polyam folks missing their pals. You don't need to have sex in person to have a good fucking time. Thank you for calling in and sharing your really hot, really fun quarantine sex story. They call them teledildonics, those remotely remote controlled vibrators. This isn't a dildo, teledildonics, sort of in first dildo. This is a tele-buttplugonics. Sounds like you had a blast, though. Thank you again for sharing. If you want your quarantine, fun, sexy time story to open the Savage Lovecast next week, give us a call, 206-302-2064, and share your quarantine sex story. Dan Savage, I am a 33-year-old uh, guy, a bisexual man in Iowa, and tell me if I'm going crazy, but what if... Uh, so, like, the COVID thing, it comes in through the eyes, nose, mouth. What if you have a hookup where you go over to someone's apartment, you're basically wearing a gas mask. I just bought a gas mask, so that's exactly what I'd be wearing. They're wearing a COVID mask, uh, maybe their own gas mask, whatever. Uh, you order them to get naked, because it'd be a dom-sub thing. 
They get uh, naked except for the face mask. Maybe you tie them to a bed. Then you uh, clean them with soap and water. Where uh, you know around around uh, the, the the downstairs area, and then um, you take your mask off. Maybe even wipe your own face down first, and then you go down on them. Maybe you know other stuff that's safe-ish right now, like whips, bamboo, all things that would be negotiated beforehand. But my point is. Am I going crazy, or is this uh, just crazy enough to work, you know, to not catch it? You know, they're wearing a mask. You only take yours off to, to, to get business done, and then maybe you, whoever's place you're at, the other person leaves, takes a shower, the other person takes a shower too, and then you can meet up, uh, you know, and hang out um, a little bit more uh, six feet away from each other. We've touched on the gas mask issue before. If you're entering someone's space and wearing a mask, it's probably safer than entering someone's space and not wearing a mask. But the issue is exhalation and inhalation. The issue is you know, removing the mask and then breathing all over that person, if that's what you're planning to do, if you want to blow them. Yeah, probably safer than blowing them if they weren't wearing a mask, but it's not safe. We know now that most infections occur in enclosed spaces where one person who's infected is breathing, exhaling micro particles, droplets of the virus and they're floating around in the air and other people in that room are inhaling. And if you're having sex, just like if you're, as it happened here in Washington state, rehearsing for a chorus performance, you're going to be exhaling and inhaling rapidly. And that seems to be a contributing factor for getting infected. So even if you're careful donning and doffing your masks and your rubber suits and showering and wiping down, it's not 100% safe. It is, of course, probably a little bit safer. But if you're engaged in impact play, say you're going to flog somebody, you're going to breathe heavily. You're going to work up a sweat. You're going to fill that room with whatever's in your lungs. So hours later, after you've left, if they removed their mask, if you had COVID and you've been exhaling it all over the room and you may be asymptomatic, not think you have it, but have it and be at your most infectious state, they could get it. So yeah, safer by some marginal degree, but I'm sorry, I can't declare it what you're planning or proposing safe. If you love thrift store shopping, there is no need to stop. No matter what phase of the lockdown you're in, you can still freshen up your wardrobe and have fun shopping for clothes at ThreadUp. ThreadUp is the world's largest online thrift store with up to 90% off estimated retail. So you get the insane deals of thrifting with the convenience and safety of online shopping from all your favorite brands. Score Nike from five bucks, J. Crew or American Eagle starting at six bucks, plus thousands more brands, all for a fraction of the price. You can get a new closet full of clothes without ever leaving the house. With new arrivals every minute at ThreadUp, there's always something new to discover at ThreadUp.com. Shop online and customize your search by your size, style, and budget so you can find the best deals instantly. It's that easy. Get items in high-quality condition, some even with their original tags still on, all delivered right to your door. Nancy ordered some clothes for her daughter and got some really nice sweaters and leggings. They needed the distraction and they needed the pick-me-up. You can get that distraction. You can get that pick-me-up. And you can get the styles you love for a fraction of the price and look good and feel good about shopping at ThreadUp. And for Savage Lovecast listeners, here's an exclusive offer just for you. Get an extra 30% off your first order at ThreadUp.com slash Savage. 
That's T-H-R-E-D-U-P dot com slash savage for 30% off your first order. Threadup.com slash savage for an extra 30% off today. Terms apply. Hi, Dan. I'm a 42-year-old woman living in Sydney, Australia, and I have a little girl who is 11 years old. She has expressed to me that she is queer um, and she's still working out whether she's bisexual or lesbian. And I've been fully supportive and open in allowing her to express herself, to talk to me about um, her feelings and to feel safe and supported by giving her access to resources and also mixing with members of the LGBTIQ community at age-appropriate events. I was looking at her iPad recently and she had um, logged on to site for LGBT youth in crisis and she had said that she was living at a friend's house because she'd been kicked out of home and she'd had suicidal thoughts and she'd been free from self-harm for eight months. This was all news to me. I'm really concerned about why she's doing this when she has such a supportive home and home structure. Um, I live with my fiancé and her father is in the picture and we're all very supportive of her sexuality and her lifestyle choices. We just want to make sure that she's having age-appropriate support and I want to make sure that she's not being harmed. I'm not quite sure what to do. I think we should take her to a professional, but I would like to also hear about what you think about it all, considering she comes from a really good and safe home and she's making up stories about having completely the opposite. So your 11-year-old is fantasizing about or projecting herself into the experience of queer kids whose families are not supportive because, and I'm just trying to read her mind here, she may think that that's more typical of a queer youth experience because kids who are bullied or abused in this way by their families are, are in crisis and they're centered in a way. It's centered in the conversation about queer youth and the crisis that queer youth often face. Or she is attracted to the heroics of that narrative. She's wasting the time of the people on these crisis hotlines or crisis websites and that's not okay. I wonder that when you say I was looking at her iPad recently – She's 11 years old. I would hope you have an agreement or an understanding, an explicit understanding with your child that you are allowed to monitor her social media and her online presence and look at her iPad. And if so, I think you should just talk to her about this. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be an awkward conversation. But you should ask her why she is saying these things that are not true to these crisis counselors. And maybe she was just doing it for attention, for empathy, for understanding, whatever it might be. You should ask her about it. She's obviously lying about not having a supportive family. Fingers crossed. Hopefully she's lying about having suicidal ideation and hopefully she's lying about engaging in acts of self-harm. But you have to take that shit seriously. There are lots of examples out there of queer youth who have taken their own lives at 12, 13, 14, 15, who had supportive family because they were in crisis or in despair and had linked it to their sexuality or was linked to their sexuality or being bullied by other people or they're just getting a lot of really negative messaging from the mass culture that's overwhelming whatever supportive messaging or supportive reality they're getting from their family. So you do need to intervene there and err on the side of taking that shit seriously, even if she denies it, which means getting her in to see a counselor. 
She's obviously been doing this for attention. She may think faking a crisis is the only way to get attention from people outside of her immediate family circle and get support from people who don't maybe in her mind owe her that support. And so she's been doing this. Get her the support of a professional, somebody outside of her immediate family, and hopefully it will meet that need that she clearly has for that kind of attention and support. And she will know that she can ask for it and get it without claiming to have been victimized in ways that she is not being victimized or failed by her family. If you're looking for honest, modern basics, look no further than Everlane. Everlane makes sturdy, simple, good-looking clothes using all the finest materials without traditional markups. And Everlane wants you to know what you're paying for and why, so they tell you their real costs and they are radically transparent about every step in their process, from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. No matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. And because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt, which I am wearing right now, are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. They have a beautiful selection of 100% grade A cashmere. I love their premium Japanese denim, which I am also wearing right now. I'm a big fan of their jeans. I'm also a big fan of not going to stores and trying pants on and not going to stores and shopping. So I use Everlane to get jeans when I need jeans, and I kind of fell in love with their jeans. Their re-wool jackets are made from premium recycled wool and look amazing. Nancy is going through a leggings phase, and she says theirs are perfect. And I got to say, the male models on their site, also kind of hot. You can't order them off the site, but you can take a look at them at the site. Check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash savage. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash savage. Get some great looking clothes. Support the show by going to everlane.com slash savage. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at-risk youth. 28-year-old cis woman here from the Mid-Atlantic. I identify as bisexual, but I definitely have a preference for cis men. Yesterday, I tried eating out a woman for the first time. I'd been eaten out by women before. I love kissing. I love, you know, fucking with strap-ons. But I'd never eaten out a woman before, and I didn't like it. And I feel kind of guilty about it. I am more of a phallophile. I prefer penises over vaginas. But I don't have a problem, like, fingering or fucking. I just don't know if I need to feel bad for not liking to eat pussy. All right. If you were a straight guy and you liked getting your dick sucked, but you didn't like eating your girlfriend's pussy, according to the protocols of the elders of advice columning and advice podcasting, I would have to declare you an asshole. You're a bisexual woman. You enjoy getting with other women. You enjoy making out with other women. You enjoy having your pussy eaten by other women. You enjoy fingering other women. You enjoy uh, strap-on sex with other women. I don't think that you're not wanting to eat pussy means you're not really, truly bisexual. That wasn't your question. You didn't float that, but I'm sure that popped into the minds of some other people out there listening. You like 90% of girl-on-girl action. You just don't like, as you have now discovered – Eating pussy, why might that be, considering you like touching pussy and fucking pussy and making out and rolling around with women and tits too, I assume, why might that be? Well, some people just don't like performing oral. There are lots of people out there who like to be 
orally serviced and don't like performing oral. And it's not just straight guys with dicks who like to get their dick sucked who don't like to eat pussy. I've met gay guys who like to get sucked off who don't particularly like sucking dick themselves. And what you have to do if you're one of those people who isn't an asshole is be kind and compassionate and considerate about that and maybe not partner with someone who really likes to be orally serviced or have a little reciprocity in the oral area. And that means not partnering with someone who wants reciprocity where oral is concerned or, or needs or requires oral. And there are people out there who could take or leave oral or really don't like it. The issue here, though, when you talk about oral sex in women is so many women get these messages that their vaginas are, are dirty or ugly or their labia are too big and they're very self-conscious about being gone down on. And so there are lots of women out there who say they don't like oral and what they're just expressing is their own discomfort with their body or projecting their discomfort under their partner and they're, they feel grossed out about their own genitalia because they've succumbed to all this horrible messaging and they assume their partner will be just as disgusted as they are by their genitalia if they let them get knows to twat with it. And so you really have to sit with this and interrogate your own discomfort with oral. Obviously, you're not one of those women who thinks your vagina is gross or disgusting. You don't want people eating it or getting too close to it because you let men and women eat your pussy. And I would just challenge you before you just decide performing cunnilingus isn't something that I enjoy and there's no deeper meaning there. It's just a simple like, dislike, preference, I would challenge you to really think through whether you have internalized to some small degree all of that shitty cultural messaging about vaginas. And that is why you didn't enjoy eating that pussy that one time you tried. Maybe try again. Give it a couple of more shots before you remove it from your list of things that you're willing to do with female partners. But then be really upfront about it. You don't want to wind up in bed with a woman who can only climax through oral sex, who's eaten your pussy and given you three orgasms and then turn around and say, yep, none for you. You want to make sure that you're winding up in bed with women who enjoy strap on sex, enjoy toys, enjoy vibrators, enjoy being fingered, enjoy eating pussy and get off in a million ways and not only don't require oral, but maybe don't even like it. There has arguably never been a better time to try out a new sex toy. Whether it's for solo, delicious, rewarding masturbation, or if you're lucky enough to have someone to try it out with you, you might as well branch out in the sex toy department and find some new ways to pleasure yourself and your partners, right? Dame Products is a woman-owned sex toy company making the next generation of vulva-tested, vulva-approved vibrators. Their first toy, Eva, is a couple's vibrator that broke the internet, delivering hands-free clitoral stimulation during penetrative sex. Their growing line of vibrators and accessories are made with medical-grade silicone, smart design principles, and lots of love, earning glowing press from the New York Times, W Magazine, and many more. Whether you're a couple looking for an extra boost where it matters or on a journey of self-exploration, we're sure they'll earn a spot on your nightstand. And the best part? Dame offers hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. Go to dameproducts.com slash savage today for 10 bucks off your first order. That's dameproducts.com slash savage. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm calling about my five-year-old son. I believe that he has a foot fetish, which is okay, but I'm struggling how to support him now when he has no understanding of sex or sexuality. My son is a normal, happy, healthy kid until he sees a bare foot. 
It doesn't matter who the foot belongs to. If it's sockless, my kid loses his mind. He gets giddy, he loses self-control, and sees literally nothing except the foot. He also says that it makes his penis stand up and feel hot like a volcano. That was a quote. One issue that I've noticed lately is that he doesn't want to participate in anything where he has to take off his socks. We've had issues at gym class, birthday parties at trampoline parks, um, and he actually refuses to go to judo or swimming because he says that he doesn't feel comfortable with you know, seeing everyone's feet, but also taking off his own socks. I'm truly saddened that he will choose to miss out on class activities, parties, and extracurricular activities only because of his feelings around loving to see everyone else's feet while simultaneously refusing to take off his own socks because he doesn't want to show his feet. I'd love it if you could give me advice on these two specific issues. Number one, how can I talk to my five-year-old about sex, sexuality, and foot fetishes in an age-appropriate and supportive way? And number two, how do I get him comfortable with being around bare feet and acting appropriately so that he doesn't lose his mind or try to touch his friends or grandmas or whoever feet without consent? Based on everything I've read about the formation of fetishes and kinks, foot fetishes, other fetishes, it seems clear that your son is going to be a foot fetishist when he grows up. In some ways, he's already a foot fetishist. It seems counterintuitive that somebody would be really aware of their kinks before they're probably even aware of their sexual orientation. But the research, the data shows that kinks form early, often pre-puberty, and that People who are adult kinksters remember vibing on, if I can use that term, that's the term the kids are using. The kids will stop using that term as soon as they hear me use it, but vibing on whatever it was that was their fetish before they were aware of really what sex was, before they were aware of who their erotic targets would be as adults, who they would be attracted to. Jillian Keenan writes about this very movingly, that she was obsessed with spanking before she hit puberty, before she realized that – before she knew who she was sexually attracted to. And for that reason, she regards her kink as a sexual orientation unto itself and one that goes to perhaps an even deeper place than her romantic or sexual orientations. So – your kid is probably going to be a foot fetishist when he grows up. Feet will continue to make his dick feel like a volcano all his life. It could become for him in adulthood a source of tremendous pleasure, a way to connect to people. It will bring people and experiences into his life that wouldn't enter his life without this particular fetish. A lot of people regard fetishes as a kind of tragedy and it can seem like a burden to parents who are struggling with a kid who's got an emerging kink or a kid who's struggling with that who feels freakish or isolated and then you jump 5, 10, 15 years into the future and that same foot fetishist or whatever other kind of fetishist is partnered with somebody that they love who shares their kink, two people who would not have come together but for that fetish and it can bring joy, connection, intimacy into a person's life sometimes in unexpected ways. But what do you do with the five-year-old who's freaking out about grandma's feet? What do you do with the five-year-old who won't take his socks off? How do you have that age-appropriate conversation? Well, 
you got to have it. You don't want to shame your kid about this, but your kid has to learn how to comport himself so he doesn't – but your kid has to learn how to control himself to avoid being shamed or, or socially ostracized. And he is acutely aware already of the risks. That's why he doesn't want to be around kids in swim class or judo or wherever people are bearing their feet. And I think you're going to have to allow for that. We can allow for a five-year-old to have their obsessions and be a little weird. There are five-year-olds who won't leave the house without wearing their Spider-Man costume or their Superman cape. And they are often accommodated and people just sort of shrug and say, yeah, kids, kids can be oddly obsessed about stuff and be weird about it. And we allow for it. I'm not saying that you should ask people to allow for your kid to drool over their feet or handle or fondle them. But allowing for your kid to not take their socks off at judo seems to be something that you could talk to the teacher about and ask for an exception because your kid just has this weird thing about not wanting to be barefoot right now and hopefully he'll outgrow it. But the conversation, the much trickier conversation is the one you need to have with your kid. And I think you can tell your kid that, yeah, different body parts make different people feel the way that feet make him feel. And one of the things that we have to do, all of us, is control that, is not stifle it. You know, it's ours and we can enjoy it. We can enjoy it privately. We can have it in our thoughts. But it makes other people uncomfortable. If you stare or touch them in ways that demonstrate that, you know, this particular body part is your favorite and is exciting for you and your penis. So you have to learn how to keep that private. But that is something right now that you can enjoy inside your own head, that you can enjoy privately, but it's not something that you can enjoy with grandma. And that's going to be a little hard for him to hear, perhaps hard for him to understand. But I promise you, as he grows and gets a little older, he will learn to navigate this, to avoid the social costs and consequences of not being able to control himself around other people's feet. You know, you talk to people who are into bondage and there's often this moment, you know, where bondage is okay for little kids. You know, people play tie-up games, cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians, deeply problematic, but people used to play that. And then they become aware that their thing for being tied up means something more to them and something different to them than their friends' enjoyment of it as play, that it is more fraught for them. And they become self-conscious about it and less comfortable engaging in that sort of play with others because they don't want – because they feel exposed. And that's what your son is going through right now. He feels exposed and vulnerable because of his inability to control himself around other people's feet – And his discomfort exposing his feet to other people because for him, they're sort of a fetish object. Not sort of, actually a fetish object. So the way to get him to be more in control around other people's feet is to tell him he needs to be and that he must be more in control around other people's feet out of consideration for other people's feelings. Just as, you know, I'm sure if he's five or six years old, he's aware that some guys, some men are into boobs. He's probably seen TV shows where boobs are discussed, that some, lots of people are into boobs, but you don't make people who have boobs or, you know, who are wearing tight outfits feel self-conscious by staring or groping. And he can be told at five that you don't want to make people whose feet are exposed feel self-conscious about that by staring or groping. And that's not acceptable behavior, whether you're five or 10 or 30. 
Because he's five, this isn't a conversation you're going to have with him once. It's a conversation you're going to have to have with him again and again. You're going to have to reinforce the message and really walk a line. And you're going to really have to strike that balance so that you don't shame him, so you don't give him a complex. That balance being your feelings are valid and you there will be times and places that you can fully express them. Grandma's house, judo class, neither the time nor the place to fully express these feelings. You're not the only mom or dad out there who's parented a kid whose fetishes were evident early. If there are other parents out there listening now who navigated this difficult time between the emergence of the kink and the kid learning how to control themselves around whatever it is that they fetishized, give us a call. Share your story. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. 25-year-old cishet woman living in the Northeast over here with a question about post-COVID coitus. All right, so here's the backstory. I started seeing a guy in December. He's awesome, and it's been a really great relationship, but we started off pretty casually, and then COVID happened. So I have been obviously in quarantine in my apartment by myself. I've been here for about 10 weeks now, doing all the stuff you're supposed to do, social distancing, face masks, working from home, etc., Um, And I haven't seen him since the lockdown, but we're still texting and calling and video chatting and all that sexy stuff. Anyway, he is an, an essential worker. He works for a residential facility. And about two weeks ago, he was exposed to COVID at work, started feeling shitty and then tested positive. So he's doing fine. You know, I've been checking in on him. Apparently it was a very mild case and that's awesome. He's already starting to feel better. But here's my question and concern. Um, When is it going to be safe for me to have sex with him again? So I've been keeping up with the news, but there's just so much confusing information and there's new studies coming out all the time. And I know you've talked a lot about what you know and how that information is changing all the time. So I wanted to ask you, is there any possibility that he could still infect me once he, you know, is no longer symptomatic, has tested negative and all that jazz? Like, is it possible for me to still get COVID even if he's testing negative? And then if that's true, like how long would he be able to spread it for? Furthermore, do I have to wait for a vaccine in order to have sex with him? Like, do I have to wait 18 months before I fuck him again? Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, longtime Savage Lovecast medical expert, Dr. Barack Gaster, professor of medicine at the University of Washington here in Seattle. How are you doing, Dr. Gaster? Doing okay, Dan. Hanging in there. So this seems to be a question that's going to be on a lot of people's minds going forward. You know somebody, someone in your life, or someone you just met who had COVID and is now recovered, now testing negative. What's your risk if you fuck that person? Do you have to wait for a vaccine? Can that person who had COVID but now doesn't have it anymore still infect you? What do we know? Yeah, this is such an important question. So good to sort of get this out there, um, which is that this virus is completely cleared from the body really pretty quickly, that um, it just doesn't hang around. There is no risk um, of transmission once somebody has recovered from a COVID infection. And we know enough about it already to, to, to say that, to make that statement, unlike HIV, which hides and hangs out in the body and can lay dormant and then be very hard to find in someone and then come roaring back if their immune system is compromised, if they go off their meds. This is different. Coronavirus is different. 
completely different, hands down, safe, safe, safe. I mean, it's this, this disease is so hard because there's, there is a lot that we still don't know. Um, and it is, it is what makes it so hard to contain is that it is very transmissible very early in the course of the infection. So when people have like barely any symptoms at the very beginning, it does look like they're very contagious. And so just so important that as soon as somebody feels like they are getting sick, it's so important for them to self-isolate themselves. But we are now like so confident and sure that once this disease resolves, once people recover from it, there is zero chance that they are, they they remain infectious in any way. There was some question, and now there seems to be some data that's emerging, that whether or not a person can get infected again, whether or not having been infected and recovered uh, conferred some immunity on a person, and now it looks like it might or does. Yes, yeah. And I mean, so, you know, that's the even more, you know, for this person, the caller's question. I mean, even, so we are getting more and more confident as time goes on that you, once you have recovered from uh, a COVID infection that you are much, much less likely and maybe even immune, probably immune for a significant period of time after getting it. And so in terms of you know whether she should get back together with somebody who has recovered from COVID and is that safe, it's probably, it's like much safer to be with that person than somebody who hasn't had COVID um, because we do feel confident that that person is immune for at least a good long while. The particulars of her situation, the guy works in a residential care facility, and that's where he likely got infected. As we've seen in nursing homes uh, all across the country and other residential uh, centers, uh, people are particularly vulnerable, and not just the the patients, but also the staff. So that may be where he got infected. He could get re-exposed without getting reinfected. Which means he could, you know, if he rolls into her apartment after a shift, he could have the virus on him physically and pass it to her without becoming reinfected herself. Am I gaming that out right? Is that a legitimate concern? No. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm I mean, really right, relieved. I mean, right. Yes, as long as he, like, you know, washes his hands and, you know, maybe if they want to be, like, extra, extra, extra sure but don't necessarily need to, like, always, like, you know, change his clothes, um, the, the risk of, you know, carrying the virus on him in some way is just incredibly low risk. That's not how this virus is transmitted. And that's a change from what we, you know, everyone was you know, panicking, not panicking, like operating with the information we had at the time, that there were initial studies that showed the virus could survive on surfaces for some amount of time, yeah. which made yeah. handling a package delivered to your house potentially risky or, you know, picking up a box of carton of eggs in the store that somebody else had picked up and set back down potentially risky. And what we know now is that the risk of transmission surfaces from touching a surface that someone touched who had the virus is actually lower than we feared at the start. Is that right? That's right. I mean, we can't say that it's zero. And so, I mean, it's really important to wash our hands and not touch our face. But it is really primarily a, a, a respiratory droplet transmitted virus in that people who are, you know, just really careful about, uh, about just like routine infection control procedures um, are going to be a very low risk of getting it and very low risk of, uh, of you know, passing it along. And, um, and that really within 
10 to 14 days of recovery from a COVID infection, there is zero chance of, of being contagious. And, you know, and there's all kinds of weird research about, well, well, can't you still maybe detect like a little bit of sort of like scrap of RNA from that virus in seven days or 14 days after infection? Yes, but the odds that that is an, an actual infectious particle is so, so, so low. And so for sure, like at the sort of 10 to 14 day mark, when somebody has been feeling completely well for three days, there is zero chance of them being contagious. So she can fuck this guy. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Bearing in mind, though, that she's bringing him into her pod. They don't live together. Yeah. So, you know, it matters how many people he's in routine, regular contact with. Uh, it matters how many people yeah. she's in routine, regular contact with. She could have him over and fuck him and then come down with it. She may assume that she got it from him, but she could have gotten it at the grocery store from somebody else, going to the doctors or, or being on the bus or the subway, whatever. She's unlikely to get it from him. That doesn't mean she's not going to get it. And she needs to factor into their – they need to factor into their decision whether to get together or not other sort of knock-on risks that people are having to think about when it comes to social isolation physical distancing. That's right. Yeah, we all just have to be aware of who our pods are and and, and that the pod concept goes beyond just like who are you living with but just your general kind of – uh, social network. Can I trouble you to stay on the line for a non-COVID related sex and health question? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> hey, Dan, 33 years old, cis woman, bisexual. My question is, is there any danger to snorting cum? I just had this like desire and had my partner was sucking him off mm. and I love I just love cum and I love swallowing it and everything and I just wanted to have it up my nose and so I asked him to come in my nose and he did and it was like a fucking, I don't know, shot of serotonin to my brain. Anyways, it was amazing. And I just want to know from one of your medical guests, experts, if I should be concerned about any potential negative side effects. So Dr. Barak, I have given enough blowjobs to know that occasionally gets into your sinuses. Right. But listening to this question, what it reminded me of were these cases where people used neti pots to rinse their sinuses, basically poured water <laughs> through their sinuses with a neti pot over the sink, which I think is disgusting and gross. And I don't want to do it and got amoebas in their brains. They got they introduced amoebas into their sinuses that then chewed up and into their brains and they died using tap water. <laughs> Am I, worst case scenario, disordering this in some way, considering the numbers of times I've probably had semen in my sinuses, to worry that if you're snorting cum, you might get an amoeba in your brain that kills you? <laughs> oh, Dan. Oh, you, you like save these up for me, don't you? Like, <laughs> these... <laughs> I actually save these up to remind people I am not a doctor and I have doctors on to prove that I am not a doctor. So my amoeba concern is probably not legitimate. 
Yes, but right. Neti pots are really, really safe and they're really effective. And, and some people really swear by them and really um, help them a lot. But like, you know, oh, good grief. But I'm looking <laughs> at a headline right now. That. Brain eating and the death highlights importance of safe neti pot use from January yeah, right. of 2019. This is what we were worried about before COVID was neti pots and amoebas eating our brains. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, yeah, neti pots are really safe. <laughs> um, and this gal, I don't know what to say to her. <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, it's probably safe. It's probably safe. I mean, we have to infer it's safe. If you've given blowjobs to people, you know, yeah. Brock, if you've given blowjobs to people who shoot huge loads, sometimes that stuff comes flying out of your sinuses, come flying right out of your nose. It happens. Yeah. And if it was, uh, if it killed people, we'd hear about those blowjob related deaths every once in a while. We have to infer. Yeah. It, it's, it's just the, the quantity that she's presenting us with here is, is, is different. I mean, our noses are really tough entryway to our body, you know, evolutionarily prepared to uh, protect us against like <clears throat> a ton of sort of crap that we're constantly breathing in that. Um, and so it's got all kinds of good kind of filters and sort of protective sort of barriers. And so the odds that this is safe is, is really high, but like good grief, just like the, the crusty gross quantity that she's <laughs> sort, of, sort of asking here is, 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 uh, is, is above my pay grade to really weigh in on as like, you know, big thumbs up because I don't know, but it's probably safe. You know, obviously risk of HIV and this would not be safer sex, but is it sort of in and of itself bad? Probably not. You're not going to drown it. But good grief. <laughs> don't, don't, why, do you, why do you ask me these? Uh, it's above your pay grade, but we like to, to trick you into tackling these questions with us. Oh. Because, because yeah. I, I don't know, you're, you're, the way you squirm, it's just so delightful. <laughs> Even when you're not in the room with me, I can see you squirming in your seat. Dr. Barack Gaster, professor of medicine at the University of Washington, thank you so much for allowing me to still have your phone number. It's always a pleasure, Dan. It really is. It's fine. Hey, Dan. I have a friend who is spending their quarantine in Singapore, and he just sent a picture from some store. It kind of looked like a Walmart or something because it had all these different aisles. But he sent a picture of an aisle that was all sex toys. And he said 90% of the aisle was masturbation sleeves. And there was a very tiny section devoted to female sex toys. And he was like, that's weird because I sort of thought toys were most often for women. And that made me think that that is also sort of my impression of sex toys, even though men are the majority of the market for most sex-related things like porn. So I was wondering who buys more sex toys, men or women? That's a really interesting question, and I do not know the answer to it. I have some anecdotal data. Every time I've walked into a woman-owned, feminist, progressive sex toy shop, most of the toys seem to be for women. Vibrators, dildos, strap-ons. Of course, strap-ons can be used by men. Of course, vibrators can be used by men, and dildos certainly can be used by men. There's plenty of evidence for that all over the internet, but it does seem that most sex toys are made for women. And again, it depends, I think, on how you define sex toy. If you want to talk about all the things that can come under that header, 
You know, some people think a roll of duct tape is a sex toy. Who's buying most of the rolls of duct tape out there when they're being used as sex toys, men or women? Who knows? I don't think anyone's done the research. The sex toy shops I've been in, as opposed to the one your friend visited in Singapore, most of the things on the shelves seem to be for women, although available to and can be used also by men. There needs to be some research in this area. Maybe there's somebody out there right now listening who's done that research or is aware of it and they'd like to send it along to us here at the Savage Lovecast. We would appreciate it. All right, before we get to your response calls, I am going to read some of your tweets. The notorious KGB tweets, hey, at fake Dan Savage, the governor of Michigan is Gretchen Whitmer, not Whitman, as you repeatedly called her on the Savage Lovecast this week. Thank you, KGB. Thank you, Pet Store Stu. Thanks to everyone who wrote, tweeted, and called to let me know that I screwed up Governor Whitmer's name. I looked at my notes and I had Whitmer written down, but Whitman came out of my mouth. Don't know how that happened. Apparently, I was thinking cheap dime store chocolate when I should have been thinking kick-ass Midwestern governor. My apologies. Thomas Bird tweets, hey, Savage Lovecast, my friends and I were wondering if there is a name for Eiffel Towering someone under the Eiffel Tower. Could you please put this on your show for listeners to respond to, please? I can't imagine Nancy's going to play responses about this, but I just wanted to say I prefer the term spit roast to Eiffel Tower. But if you're Eiffel Towering someone under the actual Eiffel Tower, that's just public sex. And I'm pretty sure it's a crime, even in Paris. Lucas Snyder tweets, The Savage Lovecast vibe lately is very, Dad, if I finish my chores, can I play with Dave? Except chores are public health, and Dad is fake Dan Savage, and Dave is a sexy wild card. Thanks for being internet sex dad, Dan. You're welcome, Lucas. If you want me to read your tweet potentially on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hey, Dan. I wanted to call in response to the caller you had last week who was uncomfortable using the language of slavery in her Dom Sub play and also the interview that you did with Blackson. I think Blackson is super interesting and it's great that you had them on the show. But I also think that in assuming that all master-slave play is playing on race, you've made a really big assumption. Slavery is an institution that has been part of human societies since the beginning of time. There were slaves in ancient Mesopotamia and Egypt and Greece and Rome. And I know that we live in America, and America has this terrible institution of racialized slavery um, that obviously we cannot overlook because we live here. The legacy is so powerful in our society today. But to immediately jump from master-slave kink to racial aspect is overlooking all of the kinksters who are engaging in master-slave play and eroticizing different slavery institutions. I'm white, and ever since I started having dirty thoughts about this shit when I was a teenager, all the slaves have looked like me. I would say my kink is focused on like the ancient world, like ancient Greece, ancient Rome, something about that. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's weird. But it doesn't play directly on race. Not all kinksters who use the language of master-slave are engaging in a racialized form of kink play. Hey, Dan, Nancy, tech-savvy 
youth. Uh, this is a response call to the woman whose uncle's girlfriend did some porn. I'm honestly just kind of disgusted by the whole interaction that she had with her long-term family friends. These men definitely watch porn. Uh, they definitely found this video watching porn. And nobody seems to be noticing that the consumption of porn is what has actually caused this. It's not the doing of it. So the whole thing is just completely misogynistic and backwards. And I just, I just, these don't really sound like friends um, because they're using one woman, shame another woman. And that is just a classic male misogynistic move. So I don't know if these are your friends, girl. Hi, I'm calling for the woman in the last episode who matched with someone accidentally on Tinder that she was not interested in. And I just want to say you're making a huge problem out of nothing. Most people that I match with on dating apps online either never say anything to me or we have a short conversation and then one of us never continues the conversation. You can just ghost. You said you put your foot in your mouth, so it sounds like maybe you already said something to this person, but you can just stop the conversation in preferably the nicest way possible or just like never answer or just unmatch them. It's really not a big deal when you unmatch with somebody, the conversation just goes poof and they kind of don't remember what happens. It's great. Thank you so much for all of your great response calls. We value all your contributions to this show. Speaking of this show, I will be doing Savage Love Live this Thursday, June 4th, with all proceeds going to Feed the Hungry here in Washington State. Join me, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth for an evening of your cues and my A's, this time on Zoom and live. You can email us your questions in advance at livestream at savagelovecast.com, or you can send them to me live during the live stream this Thursday evening. Evening. Go to savagelovecast.com slash events to buy your tickets. And again, all proceeds go to Northwest Harvest. This is a fundraiser to help out people who are struggling here in my home state, Washington. Please join us this Thursday night for Savage Love Livestream. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you would like to record a question or a call for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Better yet, you can record a question using the Voice Memo app on your phone and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. There are a few more chances for you to see my Dirty Little Film Festival Hump Now streaming. You can see it this Saturday, June 6th, and next Friday, June 12th. Go to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets. And if you like Hump, the folks who put it together have put together the Confinement Online Film Festival, featuring funny, weird, and poignant films about all of our adventures in lockdown. Go to cough.tv, that's C-O-F-F TV, to get your tickets. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with our installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.